Good morning and welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRNAM for Friday, December 30th, 2022. And our top story today, six state and local government trends to watch in 2023. Today's show is powered by the Mission Square Research Institute. To learn more about the Mission Square Research Institute and see its latest research, visit the website below. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more are Dr. Joshua Franzel and Gerald Young of Mission Square Research Institute. Josh, Gerald, Happy New Year. Great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Well, thanks for having us, Jeff. Happy holidays to you and all of your viewers. Yep, absolutely. Well, Josh, I want to start with you because before we get into the trends with you and Gerald for 2023, you know, I have to use this opportunity to maybe take a look back at 2022. And, and candidly, it's been tough for many citizens out there in terms of market volatility and inflation. But I can't imagine that it's been any different for state and local governments. Do you want to talk a little bit about how those entities have fared uh, during the last year? Yeah, sure. So we've been polling state and local workers, um, especially over the past two years, as we've gone through through the pandemic. And We've been asking them a range of questions about how they're feeling about their job outlook, how they're feeling about the broader economy, how they're feeling about uh, the benefits that they're offered and the compensation they're offered. Um, these are state and local workers uh, via their, their their public employment. And back in uh, in the September timeframe, uh, we really uh, wanted to dive into how, as you mentioned, economic volatility, inflation, other you know, top of mind uh, issues. We're affecting state and local workers, and quite frankly, they're not immune from from what the rest of uh, of, of Americans are dealing with uh, you know, throughout the course of 2022. Um, 84 percent uh, had noted in that most recent survey that they were anxious uh, by the economic uh, volatility, uh, um, economic conditions, market volatility, inflation, um, and as it relates, I guess, to, to those of, of your viewers uh, listening to this in terms of retirement. Um, 58% really viewed their retirement benefits as being a key piece to uh, keeping them on the job, retaining, enabling their employers to retain them going forward. And I would just also probably touch on that uh, in terms of higher inflation, uh, a little over half uh, said that uh, the higher inflation was causing them to save less for retirement. At the same time, a little over a third uh, uh, reported that that higher housing costs were, were uh, uh, causing them to save less for retirement. So they're not immune to a lot of the outside macro pressures that all Americans are dealing with, but it's something that we keep an eye on uh, from the Mission Square Research. Institute. Yeah, absolutely. It, sound, it sounds like you guys have your, uh, your, your proverbial finger on the pulse of what's happening. All right, Josh, let's, uh, let's shift gears. And I want to talk to you and Gerald about some of the key trends. I think there are six of them um, to, that state and local governments need to think about in 20. 23. I can't even believe it's 2023. Uh, the, the first one is communicating the full value of benefits. And, and we've talked about this before with both you, you and Gerald separately, Josh. Um, does this apply, communicating the full value, does this apply to potential 
new employees or does it refer to existing employees in terms of retention? Yes. So um, it, both. And I will say um, thank you for bringing up the trends piece. We're going to be releasing it um, very shortly. And we've been doing this for many years now in terms of where we look at the research that we've done over the past year and in any given year and, and look to see how it informs our outlook going forward. And so when you talk about communicating the full the full value of both uh, uh, portfolio benefits being offered to public employees via their public employers. Um, we see this a lot, not only in our survey data, but in our focus group work where public employers who are and they are able to recruit and retain individuals really are attempting to communicate what, from a holistic perspective, they're offering uh, from a benefits uh, uh, angle. So for example, no, we all know, and many of your viewers know, uh, main components of non-wage compensation are retirement benefits and healthcare benefits. Um, you know, on the defined benefit side, about 86% of uh, state and local employees have access to uh, a DV plan uh, in 2021. It's been relatively stable over the past decade. On the defined contribution side, primary defined contribution side, uh, about 38% have access to a primary defined benefit plan. This is up about eight or nine percentage points from about a decade ago. So you're seeing growth in the DC on the DC side. That's something to keep an eye on. On the healthcare side, we're, we're seeing a lot of stability in terms of access to healthcare, access to healthcare in service and, and retirees, uh, and for retirees. And then I guess more more generally, we're seeing a lot more focus on what's what we consider non-traditional or quality of life benefits are. So uh, enhanced employee assistance programs, uh, enhanced financial wellness programs that are offered by public employers. And we're seeing interest, maybe not so much movement, but we're seeing interest in uh, what else can be done to round out the benefits package uh, from subsidized commuting, subsidized childcare, uh, student loan repayment options, these sort of things. And I think uh, public employers of all sizes are looking at what the optimal benefits package is for recruiting and retaining individuals at different stages of their career. Yeah, well, thanks for that, Josh. And Gerald, it's great to see you again, as always. Um, it's not really a one-size-fits-all one approach, though, for state and local governments. I mean, it really depends on the demography, uh, the, the desires of each person within that state and local government, right? It does. And, you know, I think... Traditionally, you know, let's say something like retirement benefits have been geared toward helping to recruit a workforce that is interested in making a career of state or local government. You know, they have to wait a certain number of years before they're vested and obviously a, a certain number of years beyond that uh, to retire on the uh, contributions that have been made on their behalf. But there are a number of people out there that are interested in government as a, uh, a short term job. It might be two years or four years, who knows? Uh, and appealing to that group as well, uh, you know, part of that is identifying the benefits that are going to resonate for them, as Josh indicated. Uh, but it's also a matter of how you reach out to them. It might not be simply putting the job description online and saying, okay, you know, mission accomplished. It might be figuring out, well, okay, for this demographic, uh, do I need to do maybe a video uh, advertisement? Do I need to do it on social media? Uh, do I want to work through other groups, third parties, uh, you know, the colleges are an obvious 
audience, but also the uh, military communities and the bases where people might be either retiring from the military or their family members might be looking for work. Uh, or do you need to look at, and you know, many are, um, either specific neighborhoods within their community uh, to really uh, have that homegrown aspect of people working and you know, making a difference in that community or advertising in you know, specialty media like non-English language publications. Uh, and with all of those things, you know, as you're advertising for a position, not simply relying on the job description as it was written 20 years ago, but figuring out what in that job description is out of date, uh, what, you know, prerequisites really aren't relevant anymore, uh, and how can really uh, that job description be, you know, turned on its head away from, you know, this is what you're required to do and this is the more bureaucratic level of task that you might be involved in, but what can you accomplish in this job? And what satisfaction can you get from this job in terms of being a public service, which is really one of the key motivators for a lot of people who are deciding between, you know, an IT job in the private sector and an IT job in the public sector where they're going to be making that difference on a community level. And just to follow up on that, Gerald, I mean, it, the it, there's adaptation here. And, and I guess my point is, if you're an HR manager in the private sector or an HR manager in the public sector, you're kind of competing for the same resources. So just like the private sector has to adapt, it sounds as though local and state governments are adapting as well because they're competing. You know, there's not just government employees and private sector employees. They're kind of all from the same pool. They are. And, you know, there have always been, you know, smaller pools uh, like those who are drawn to work in healthcare or public safety uh, who will continue to gravitate toward those fields. But, yes, there are plenty of people who, you know, might be recruited for public or private sector positions. And that's where. It's so crucial that you know the messaging is consistent with the demographic groups, uh, plural, not singular, that you're trying to pull from. It could be people who are just out of college, or it could be people who are looking at a second career yeah. and really appealing to what they are seeking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Josh, I want to pivot back to you, and you you talked earlier about the impact of the market volatility, the inflation, and government certainly is not immune. Uh, to feeling that. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about retirement and pension funding a little bit more. Um, how can government, you know, government's got a mission. It's got mission to deliver services to the, the local or the state uh, citizens, uh, but it also has a mission to be fiscally responsible uh, when it comes to pension funding. Uh, how can government support that, that, that mission to be prudent and fiscally responsible, but also deliver those services to its citizenry. Yeah, so so on the public pension side, um, I know that we've talked in the past about the public plans database, which is a collaborative effort between our institute, uh, the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College, the Government Finance Office Association, and the National Association of State Retirement Administrators. Publicplansdata.org, uh, any of your viewers are, are more than welcome to to visit it and, and, and explore the data. It's the largest public pension database out there. It represents about 95% of all public pension members and assets, about 200 largest uh, state and local pension systems around the country. And what this has allowed us to do over, over time is track sort of 
funded funder ratios of, of, in the aggregate or individual plans, um, contributions, investment returns, these these plans. And and I think that as I talked to you at the end of 2022, it, it, it's. Uh, it's it's an interesting story where you see in the aggregate, public pension plans are about seventy five percent funded, have a funded ratio of about seventy five percent. This is up from immediately following the Great Recession. Now, a lot of regarding the market volatility, a lot of the impacts of of the market volatility, especially earlier this year, because public pension uh, plans typically phase in their gains and losses over time. Um, You'll likely see that accounted for in going forward in 2023, 2024, 2025. Um, at the same time, when we reflect back on the past, quite frankly, two decades um, or, or longer, three decades, I should say, um, uh, these pension systems have exceeded uh, their expectations for investment returns 19 years out of the past 30. And, and at the same time, um, when we when we look at the pension systems as a whole in the aggregate, or break them out in terms of quintiles um, across all categories in the aggregate, um, uh, the systems are receiving 92 percent of their employer uh, contributions, and that has gone up for most most quintiles over time. So so you're seeing more public employers making a more um, dedicated uh, concerted effort to pay their their as close to as full as the required contributions as possible. Um, and, and it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that going forward because that really positions uh, these plans well going forward. I will say one other thing. Um, we've added a, a new component probably in the past year or so of defined contribution plans to the public plans database. Right now we have about some about 100 of the largest uh, defined contribution plans around the, from around the country. We're going to be expanding that going forward. And I would encourage any of your, your, your viewers to go and, and take a look at that database as we add to it as well. So we're trying to really provide a snapshot for individual years, but then also for longer term uh, trends uh, for not only DB plans, but also the fund contribution. So I, I would say that you guys are being agile as well, just like government. Uh, Gerald, Gerald and Josh, uh, we're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about the key trends in 2023 of your state and local government. I think you're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN AM. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network 
will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're going to change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Tax audits, tax liens, wage garnishments. Every day we hear stories like this about good folks who are simply struggling to pay their bills. Each of them are living a frightening IRS tax nightmare, and they are afraid it will destroy their lives. I'm a divorced single mom, and my ex-husband left me and the kids with a lot of unpaid bills, including unpaid taxes. I was really starting to show my stress on my kids because the IRS had sent me a letter demanding a huge payment from me. I couldn't afford it. So then the IRS was threatening to garnish my wages. I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. That would have put me over the edge financially. It truly seemed hopeless, but then a friend at work told her to call the tax relief line. The people at the tax relief line, they told me about something called innocent spouse relief. They worked it out so that all of the taxes from my ex are not my problem. I don't know how that works and and I don't care. All I care about is that I don't owe the IRS a dime and they are not going to take my paycheck. Even if it seems hopeless, you should call the number on your screen right now. There is absolutely no cost for the call or the consultation. You are under no obligation. If you are worried that the IRS could garnish your wages, seize your assets, even take your home, call us right now. The tax relief line is here to help you. Now you have a knowledgeable, professional team of tax experts that are ready to negotiate with the IRS and fight for you to save you money. The Tax Relief Line's professionals have successfully negotiated thousands of cases, reducing and sometimes even eliminating the tax debt for their clients. It's very easy to get started. Simply call the number on your screen right now. You don't have to live in fear anymore. The call and the consultation are free. Nothing is known 100%. So my strategy does not change based off what other people expect. My strategy is based off of what I expect. And what I expect is to retire when I'm around 60 years old. And so I make my investments today based off what my future goal is, which is, you know, to retire in you know, 30 or 40 years. That's, that's my goal. Great things don't happen by accident. No one just blew out a candle and turned on a light bulb. Great things happen with action. When it comes to financial security, the same truth applies. You want to feel excited about your future and see things you never thought possible? Action makes it possible. At Corbridge Financial, we proudly partner with financial professionals and institutions to help more people take action in their financial lives. Welcome back. A reminder that today's show is powered by Mission Square Research Institute. To learn more about the Mission Square Research Institute and see its latest research, visit the website below. Well, Josh, Gerald, thank you so much for sticking around for the last segment of BRNAM for 2022. I'm excited. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, this is this is great. So, Gerald, I want to I want to come back to you because um, 
you know, we talked about agility and, and how governments are adapting. And do they need to be, do they need to restructure their workforce a bit? Um, I think Josh or yourself talked about the types of jobs that are out there and the, and the types of employees that are um, potentially interested in becoming government employees. But is it about government kind of restructuring its workforce a little bit to adapt to this changing world? Well, I think there's definitely an all of the above uh, response to the challenges that governments face right now. Uh, we have been surveying state and local governments since about 2009, along with the International Public Management Association for HR and the National Association for State Personnel Executives. Uh, and while we've seen a slow but steady increase in the number of positions that are identified as hard to fill, uh, it's really been exponential in the last couple of years to the point where, you know, a lot of these essential positions out there like police officers, uh, uh, registered nurses, engineers, IT professionals, there are fewer qualified applicants for those positions right now than there are vacancies to be filled, uh, which, you know, obviously is a very difficult situation. And it would be great to think that that's going to go away, you know, after this next year. Oh, well, you know, we're getting past COVID now. Maybe we are. Uh, but, you know, the, the trend line certainly seems to indicate that, uh, you know, the return to normal uh, will not be, you know, a month away or six months away. So the question is, what do you do in the meantime? Uh, yes, it's uh, key to be creative and agile. Uh, some of that might be looking at, you know, full-time positions that you'd love to be able to fill, uh, but that you could potentially fill with a part-time worker uh, or with a gig worker who might be there for, you know, six months to a year. You know, if that can, you know, provide for the staffing needs that you have in that short term, that might be just what you need, uh, you know, again, to fill those uh, very crucial gaps. Yep. And it might also be that you need to look at what those gaps will be you know, that are developing now and maybe are not, um, you know, uh, crises yet. Uh, but automation is one of the big things that's impacting some positions currently and other positions very soon. Uh, you know, customer service work, uh, a lot of that's handled by uh, customer relationship management apps. Uh, parking enforcement is becoming very app-oriented. Uh, but even things like... Uh, accounting work or libraries or transportation. There's a lot of potential automation going on in those fields. And it's really incumbent upon governments to start the internal discussions among leadership and employees about both how that might impact the workforce uh, and what training and you know professional development and, and employee support is going to go into the next several years. Yeah, and it's really interesting, Gerald, that you bring up the gig workers and the not, or the quote unquote non-traditional workers because there are more of them uh, since the pandemic started. Josh, I want to come to you next because uh, one of the other trends is communicating more holistically uh, as a government to employees. What did, what did you mean by that? What does that mean? Does that mean in terms of the market conditions, uh, you know, what's going on in totality with the government as it relates to its citizens? And you know, what, what, what does that mean in totality? Yes. So, so by you know holistically supporting public employees, um, we sort of 
in our trends piece, we really are highlighting the fact that, you know, importantly, you know, and from our surveys and from our focus groups and from other uh, data that we've collected, salary bonuses clearly are at the top of the list for recruitment and retention for employees and supporting employees. But if you, and we talked about that already in this conversation today, if you put that aside for a moment, they're uh, looking at the, the situation more holistically in terms of what else can public employers be doing to support their employees in 2022 and going into 2023. Uh, there's a lot of burnout. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of burnout and there's a lot of stress related to um, uh, um, um, individuals leaving the public service and leaving larger workloads for their uh, colleagues that have, that have stayed on in the public service. And so by holistically supporting employees, we're, we're focusing on steps employer what the steps employers can take to reduce workloads or at least help manage workloads more effectively and reduce that stress um gerald talked about it previously but also uh, taking a fresh look at how and where work can be done uh how different types of schedules to to to, to reduce stress as well um and then also on the recruitment and retention side um really focusing on employee recognition we hear a lot about this through many of our surveys. Employees want recognition. Employees deserve recognition. And um, they want to be recognized for the important work that they're doing throughout the pandemic and, and beyond the pandemic. And that's one way that not only you can help retain those individuals, but also really highlight the important work these, these folks are doing in public service so that others outside make who might otherwise not have considered a career in public service would you know, give give state and local employment a fresh look. And so um, th those are just two areas of, of probably a half dozen that we highlight that looks at what public employers can be doing more holistically to support employees on staff now and their future workforce. Yeah, you really can't underestimate the importance of morale and having good mm -hmm. morale starts with communication and making sure people have all the information possible. Jared, I want to come to you. And this is kind of the almost last question. But you and Josh are both data scientists. I'll put you in that category. You do a lot of research. How important is data when uh, managing your workforce if you're a state or local government? Is this a is this a big trend for 2023? Well, I think government as a whole does a great job of collecting data. Uh, you know, maybe a, a little bit less of a great job in terms of analyzing and acting upon that data. Uh, but in many ways, you know. There are strategic priorities for organizations and they report on those on a routine basis. Uh, it might be the uh, community quality of life issues or public safety issues. You know, they might be discussed uh, monthly or quarterly and uh, the data is a key part of that. But workforce has been a little bit more, you know, kind of the, uh, the loop the less strategic side of that discussion. It might be something that's, you know, touched upon every year uh, at a, a higher level, but not necessarily on an ongoing basis. Yes. Uh, one great example that I think, uh, you know, came out of some of our surveys was that 85% of organizations said they were doing exit interviews when an employee might leave. 37% uh, were doing employee satisfaction surveys. Only 11% were doing stay interviews or those you know, key discussions during the course of the employee's career with the organization to see what was you know, perhaps a, an issue with them that might uh, need to be addressed to keep them from leaving. 
Uh, and likewise, you know, DEI is another big priority that organizations are identifying these days. Uh, and even though a majority of the governments that we'd surveyed said that they were prioritizing DEI, uh, only a quarter or less were saying that they were tracking the results of their efforts. And, you know, again, that's one of those areas where if it's an important priority, the data is key to seeing those results. And, you know, likewise, when we talk about those, um, those exit interviews, those stay interviews, we're talking single digits that we're using the data from those in managing their DEI efforts. So if there is data being collected, it's important that that gets shared throughout the organization. And as you're, let's say, ramping up all those outreach methods that we talked about earlier, it's really important that you then collect the data on each of those so you can tell, was this new initiative that we started having the impacts that we hoped it would? You know, let's say uh, over the last year, there were a number of organizations that said, you know, hey, let's start a, um, a recruitment incentive program. We'll pay some bonuses to those new employees coming on board. That's great that the initiatives were started, but it's really important now, let's say a year later, to track the data on that and see what was impactful and what was not. Yeah, it, it really ties in nicely to what Josh was talking about previously, that holistic view, giving employees an holistic view. You need the data to do that. That's quite important. All right, guys, uh, I can't let you go. And maybe I'll, I'll just put this question to you, Josh. We've got about a minute left. I can't let you go without a little teaser of what's coming up next year for the Mission Square Research Institute. Uh, what, are you guys, what are you guys working on? Just give us a little hint of what we can expect uh, in 2023. So, so we have a lot going on. I would say probably the, top, the three, three um, projects I want to mention now were we're continuing our STEAM local workforce survey series that um, um, will be coming out in the early part of 2023 that really helps us continue to track employment outlook, career outlook, opinions of benefits and compensation uh, than public employees have. That's one. Another one is we're continuing our work in financial wellness and in the financial wellness public sector space. And so back in 2017, 2018 time period, uh, we did a first of its kind survey looking at what we know about the current structures of financial wellness in the public sector. We're doing an up essentially a post-COVID uh, update to that as well. And then, and then also just Quickly, I, um, we're working with researchers at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, uh, to really get a sense of how public employees engage with different financial products, uh, from retirement to rainy day savings to credit union member, uh, memberships to saving for college and saving for a first home. And what we hope to do is turn that into a, um, a series where we um, essentially provide a snapshot of uh, of the types of benefits public employees have access to and how they engage with those benefits as well uh, via their public employees. Wow. So those are just three, three areas that we're focused on. Yeah, but it sounds pretty exciting. And, and look, we, we look forward to having you back when you are ready to deliver that information. I mean, I think state and local governments are probably looking forward to getting all of this insight from, uh, from the Mission Square Research Institute. Gerald, Josh, great to see you. Wishing you a happy new year. And we'll see you in 2023. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you. All right. And that wraps up this episode of BRNAM. 
and the last episode of BRNAM in 2022. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, then drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more in all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, or visit our website, and of course, all of our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for our last edition of BRN Weekly. We'll be taking a look at back at some of our best segments for the week. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device.